You're listening to the Meaningful Riches Podcast, the lifestyle and personal development podcast created to help you discover and redefine the true meaning of wealth in your life. I'm your host, Hebron Gurma. Enjoy the show. What is up, you guys? We are back with another episode this week. I am super excited for this because today we are talking all about becoming a better communicator and becoming a better speaker. This is a skill that I think everybody should have and make a priority to get better at because it truly is a life skill that will transform so many aspects of your life from relationships to your career and honestly everything in between. So, to help me talk about this topic, I am here with Brendan from Master Talk. He is the founder of Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel that he has dedicated to help the world master the art of public speaking and communication. And this is a really cool part. In less than two years, he's accumulated more than 17,000 subscribers and over 350,000 views on this topic alone. So clearly, this is a topic of interest for a lot of people, including myself. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome, Brendan. Hey, thanks for having me here, Brian. It's great to be on. Um, so I guess first question for you is, I'm kind of curious to know, how did you even get into the world of public speaking and creating a platform for people where you're just wanting to help them become better communicators? Was there kind of a pivotal moment in your life where you decided, this is what I want to do? Good way to start things off. So when I was in university, Hebron, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were playing, you know, soccer or <laughs> yeah. rugby or football. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what alpha males tend to play, you know, something strong or basketball. So I was definitely not one of those those types of guys. I was more of the person who did presentations competitively. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learned how to speak. And I accidentally developed a skill in teaching other people how to speak. But the goal was never to be a YouTuber or right. like be an entrepreneur. The goal was was to be an executive on, in a Fortune 500 company. So I went on to work for IBM. But a few months before I started working there, I had the idea for the YouTube channel because a lot of the stuff I was teaching to the students back then wasn't available online for free. Right. Because a lot of the advice we hear is, oh, you should like be yourself or get up on stage. I was like, well, this is really – yeah. Not really good. So I started making videos and then a few years later it turned into a business. I was checking out your YouTube channel and the way you speak is so eloquent and you're honestly a great speaker. But I'm also wondering, was that something that kind of came naturally to you or something that you really had to kind of take time and work on? I bet, you know, you know, it's funny. I used to say that it was 100 percent like worked on, but I'm sure there's some natural talent there. But but I would say that at the beginning, I, I definitely wasn't a great speaker. And the story with that is I was based in Montreal, which is where I currently live. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, Montreal, Canada is one of the few cities in the world where you actually need to know multiple languages to do well in the city. Really? So in our case, you need to know how to speak French. But I didn't know how to speak French. Mm-hmm. So my parents sent me to a French education system, which, of course, I'm grateful for now. Now I'm trilingual. But the process was horrific, 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 <laughs> horrific. Yeah. See, so yeah, the speech coach doesn't know how to speak English. So, there we go. <laughs> so, so anyways, my whole life, not only was I uncomfortable with presentations, yeah. I had to give them in a language I didn't even know. So I definitely had challenges along the way, but I'm sure there's something about my voice that, that was naturally gifted, but a lot of it was definitely worked on. Yeah, when I think about myself and kind of my... I guess, journey and becoming a better communicator and a better speaker. I sucked. I used to be so bad. 
And the funny thing is people wouldn't necessarily believe me if I told them that now because I, I am able to communicate so much better than I was before. But it was to the point where if I had presentations to give at school or anything where I had to get in front of people and, and speak, I would shake. I would visibly shake. My voice would audibly tremor. And just hearing myself talk, I would get even more and more anxious because it's like the more you recognize that you're getting nervous, the more nervous you become. So I guess I'm, I'm curious to know what's your opinion on, on some of the biggest challenges people face when it comes to becoming a better communicator and a better speaker in general? Yeah, and I, and I definitely empathize with what you said. You know, the shaking, the nerves, yeah, and how that how that disrupts the flow. I, I definitely had that when when I was growing up. And by the way, I still have that to this day. Like, if someone told me that I, I need a coach Elon Musk tomorrow, I'm not gonna just say, "Oh yeah, life is great. Right. Let's just go." Or I'll be shaking my pants. So. <laughs> so we definitely all have that fear. It doesn't really go away. Yeah. And you know what I always like to tell people is the fear doesn't go away. I think the better question we'd ask ourselves is how do we make sure that it gets outweighed by something else, mm. rather your message. So here's here's a good analogy to understand. Let's say we're in a boxing match, yeah. not me and you, but like a boxing right. match in general. And and one side of the, because trust me, if you got into a boxing match, you would totally beat me. So I'm not <laughs> very strong. But so on one side of the boxing match, we have our fear, right? The anxiety, mm-hmm. the stress around communication. And then the other side, is the message. Why are we sharing that idea? Why are we on this podcast? Why are we doing that YouTube channel? Why are we speaking? Mm -hmm. We're having that conversation. So the goal is not to remove the fear from the ring, but rather make sure that when both of those things clash, when both of those ideas clash, that the message always gets the knockout punch. Mm -hmm. So for me, I started Mass Talk when I was only 22 years old. It was like three, four years ago. I'm 25 now. So I had a lot of insecurities and imposter syndrome around posting videos because a lot of the people who post videos on communication generally have PhDs in the topic, the 30s, 40s, 50s. So I didn't really want to post. So what made me do it? Well, what made me do it was the 15-year-old girl who couldn't afford me because she doesn't have anyone to turn to. She mm-hmm. doesn't have resources. She doesn't have a some guy or gal in, the, in their 20s who's posting videos really energetically. Right. So my message beat out the fear and I pressed record. Uh, that reminds me of um, when I was checking out some of your social media, I saw a video that you posted on your Instagram where you were talking about the difference between being an imposter and an expert. Um, and you mentioned that most people actually make the mistake of taking the definition of being an expert at face value. So talk about that a little bit, because I feel like that's such a huge roadblock for people is feeling like I can't speak on this topic or I can't share what I know up until now because I haven't self-labeled as an expert in this area. Yeah, beautiful question, Hebron. And and let me give you the full analogy. I'm not even sure if I gave it on that episode, but I'll definitely give it here. Mm-hmm. So so let's give an example. Where do you live? Like which city? Uh, Minneapolis. Gotcha. So let's take Minneapolis as an example. Let's say I came to Minneapolis mm-hmm. and I said, Hebron, you know, I'm new to the city. I don't really know what to do. What should I do? You'll probably tell me. Right. But I say, well, you could eat at this place. You could hang out over here, do this thing. You'll have a lot of fun. Same thing. If you came to Montreal and you said, Brendan, I'm in the city. What should I do? Mm-hmm. I'll probably say, oh, you should check out this chicken place. Unless you're vegetarian, then probably not. And then, and then check out this place to stay or yeah, things to do. But why are we telling each other those things when we're not experts on the topic? We're not tour guides. At least I don't think we are. Mm-hmm. You know, what I find fascinating, Hebron, is like there's some information in our life that we're very open to sharing, mm-hmm. even if we have no expertise in it, like whatsoever. Right. Oh yeah, I know, I know everything about Montreal, even if I don't. 
And there's some information, especially when it's related to expertise or something we actually want to learn, that we're afraid to share. Mm. So why is there a discrepancy there? And the reason there's a discrepancy, going back to the Instagram post, on what being an expert means. I've always believed that being an expert is not having a PhD degree, having a master's degree, but rather being a chapter ahead of the next person in that topic. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, I could probably teach you something about communication. There's probably a bunch of things that you could teach me. Right. Like on how to start a podcast. Right? So, so there's so many things we can learn from each other. Yeah. But the point that I want to drive is the key is start by giving advice to the person you're comfortable with. I didn't start with C-level executives. Mm -hmm. I didn't start that way. I started with like seven-year-old kids. Then I worked right. way up to people by own age, people <laughs> older, and then the list went on. That is such a great point because like I mentioned earlier, that is such a huge issue for people of feeling like I can't share whatever I know on this because I, I don't think that I know enough. But really, you just have to know enough or a little bit more than a person below you. On that point, too, I think another issue that I've seen is having an ego-centered or like a self-centric view to a fault where you're so focused on your own problems that you're wondering all the time, okay, what are they thinking of me? Are they, are they judging me based off what I'm saying? Am I coming off shy? Am I coming off confident? Am I coming off arrogant because I'm too confident? How are you able to help people that are maybe thinking or thinking too much when it comes to communicating with others? I love your questions, Imran. Very, I love it. <laughs> You're on a whole other level with these questions. I love it. So excellent points, right? Because when yeah. we're focused on ourselves, there's a lot of challenges around communication. We're worried about our hair, we're worried about how we look, we're worried about our message, and we lose sight of the audience. So I have a very counterintuitive tip that I think fixes a lot of these issues, which is simply have dinner with the person you want to serve. Hmm. actually sit down with them, have conversations with them. I've met so many speakers or aspiring speakers who don't actually do the most important thing, which is have conversations with their audience. I'll, I'll give you a crazy example. Mm -hmm. I remember this one guy, he interviewed me like six months ago and he owns an animal sanctuary. He's like, he helped, he has like pigs and yeah. like horses and all that stuff. He was a fan of my YouTube channel and I never would have thought in a million years when I pressed record in my mom's basement three years ago, yeah. that some guy who's running this very successful animal sanctuary, like we're talking like millions of dollars yeah. raised, is listening to my videos. But the magic of that whole environment is that because I'm spending the time listening to him, and even you with the questions you're asking me, is I'm also figuring out why they have an interest in my subject. Mm. Why does it matter to them? So that's why I think having dinner with your audience in a very intimate, informal way mm -hmm. really helps alleviate the nerves and helps develop questions and ideas and also reasons why you shouldn't be nervous because you want to serve them more. But there's a second piece as well, which is the idea of empathy. A lot of us talk about empathy. Right. We say, you know, you should put yourself in other people's shoes. And I always look at that quote and I say, okay, but what if Hebron's got different sho size shoes than yeah. me? Like it's not going to work, mm -hmm. right? So, so my definition of empathy is we're not speaking to the person we are today. We are speaking to the person we used to be. Mm. Right? There's a very big difference there. Because if you're speaking to the person you are today, it's easy for me to tell you now, oh, yeah, building a YouTube channel yeah. is easy. Bro. Just post a video every week. You'll be fine. You'll have 17,000, whatever the number is. Yeah. Versus going, oh, wait a second. The Brendan who pressed record the first time, he wasn't so... Uh, 
suave on podcast interviews. <laughs> he wasn't so confident posting. He, he wasn't well-dressed yeah. either. <laughs> so, so yeah, we live and we learn. But yeah, speak to the person you used to be. That's really good advice. I That's one of the challenges that I have too is is recognizing like how far you've come and how much you've grown already. For me personally, one of my toxic traits is always focusing on what I need to improve and not realizing what I have improved and what isn't necessarily like a problem area for me anymore. So I'm always in a constant state of like, okay, I got to work on this. I got to work on this. I got to be better at this. And sometimes that hinders me because then when I'm speaking or communicating with people, it's almost too calculated because I'm thinking, oh, I have to I have to make sure I get this point across. And I'm talking about just regular conversations too sometimes, not even like presentations that you're preparing for. Um, how do you kind of get over the mindset of, almost being too analytical with what you're you're giving to others. Mm, love that. You know what I would say is, let me start by saying, I have the exact same issue, mm -hmm. right? Whereas I'm always focusing on what I can do better versus celebrating the wins that I have. And I would also argue on top of that, that in communication, this is actually a lot harder to do because communication is a very vague subject. Right. What does being a great communicator even mean? Right. It doesn't mean like saying less filler words. It doesn't mean I need to put a suit on. Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we look like it's it's very vague in nature. Mm -hmm. So to to your point, celebrating those wins is actually a much harder versus like running a marathon because you don't see them as explicitly. And that's why it's so important for you to be surrounded by people who see the progress. Not necessarily a coach if you can't afford one, but I would definitely say people who are holding you accountable yeah. to that skill. And then with that accountability in place, it's a lot easier for you to to celebrate those wins. And and the other piece as well, how do you not be too analytical or overthink mm -hmm. things too much? My view on this is start with the basics and get them right. Let's use a simple analogy. Let's say we want to learn a piano. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to learn piano, we got two options. There's probably many others. Let's filter it down to two. So So one side of it is take 50 songs. Throw them in the air and try and learn all of them at the same time. And if you're Beethoven, that's going to work perfectly. Right. <laughs> I don't think Probably not for the rest most... of us. Right. <laughs> exactly. But the second option, which I think is, is more useful, is take one of those songs, like Jingle Bells, because the holiday season, mm -hmm. and you just present that one song. You play it so mm -hmm. many times until it's perfect. And I think communication works in the same way. So even if we are over-preparing for that first presentation doesn't mean we need to bring the anxiety. I like to look at it differently in the sense of if you see an exponential improvement in that single presentation, it's the perception of it. You can look at it and say, wow, I'm like really good at this communication thing. In the same way you look at that piano song and you're impressing people at the gala. Yeah, I know how to play this song. Wow. Yeah. Really amazing at piano. And then they're going to ask you for a second song. You're like, no, I'm done today. You walk <laughs> away like mysteriously. Yeah, yeah. So I think communication weighs in the same way. We just got to look at it differently. I think the reason why most of us see it as analytical and overthink it is because we're presenting too many presentations. So we don't see an incremental improvement in either one mm. because we're always switching. Right. Earlier, you mentioned like having dinner with your audience, basically, just to kind of get a feel for them. I'm wondering what other things or what other tips do you have that aren't necessarily tips that I would think of when I think about okay, what can I do to become a better communicator? So I wouldn't necessarily think, oh, let me have dinner with my audience. What other things do you think people are missing out on that would actually help their communication that might not be things that immediately come to mind? Ooh, 
Mm, I would say you asked me a lot of good ones, you brother. <laughs> Love this. I would say outside of dinners, yeah. Another one that comes to mind that I've implemented in my own game to improve because I plateaued at some point when mm-hmm. I was coaching people mm-hmm. is to is to target specific individuals. And I don't recommend this for most people, by the way. I would recommend this for people like you who are really sharp at communication already. <laughs> is target audience members that you actually don't think you're able to serve or that you've never focused on so let me give you an example with me because i because i can't speak to your own experience so so let me try mine so for me i started with university students that was my first ever niche but of course i couldn't build a business around that a lot of students can't afford communication coaching right so when i started moving on to executives that was a new challenge but it was fairly easy to overcome because executives are still very mature individuals they want to listen they want to learn But then I started coaching seven-year-olds, mm. 10-year-olds, nine-year-olds. And, and I still do that to this day. So I, my youngest client right now is like five, six years old. Oh, wow. So for that, yeah, so for that demographic, it's a completely different game, especially in the coaching space, because now you're looking at a little girl who's amazing, by the way, mm-hmm. but doesn't know what a presentation is. Right. Doesn't know what an introduction <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. So I have to take all my theory that I teach on the YouTube channel, all goes to the mm. wayside. I have to find games because the, the big, actually the biggest hurdle for that, most people wouldn't even know this because when you go into the trenches, you find insights mm-hmm. that nobody else sees. The biggest challenge with these kids is getting them in the program in the first place, right? Because the, even if the parents convince, or they're like, yeah, Brendan uh, could transferred me. Of course I want my kid right. to do this. The kid's like, I don't want to have anything to do with communication. Yeah. <laughs> so the first challenge I actually had to overcome was on these one-on-one calls, mm-hmm. I would have to convince the kid that this was going to be the best experience of their life. Mm. So I'll give you a funny story on this that I'm sure you'd appreciate. So I'm sitting down with this 13-year-old, and the 13-year-old's looking at me. It's like, look, I don't want to join the program as any 13-year-old would be. Right. That would be me, too, <laughs> at 13. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. I have a hard time believing that, by the way. You're, you're very relaxed. For, I guess maybe at 13. At 13, I would have, no, I would have been like, no, I just want to go home and watch Naruto or something. <laughs> I love Naruto. <laughs> Death, Death Note is my favorite anime on this side. Note. But anyways, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm talking to this this 13-year-old. Yeah. And I'm like, so what do you want? Like, what do you want out of life? Mm-hmm. What's something that you really want right now? And And the kid looks at me and he says, you know what? I really want a dog, but my dad won't get me a dog. Right. So I looked at him and I said, look, if you join this program, I promise you in 12 weeks, we'll create a presentation that'll convince your dad to buy you a dog. Oh, wow. Okay. Say. And he's like, I'm in. Yeah. And he was the most hardworking <laughs> kid ever. <laughs> I remember at week three, he was like going, yeah, Brennan, my vocal tone variation is not high. No, <laughs> At the, at the end to that story, of course, uh, as some of you might have guessed, by week seven, his dad actually bought him a dog. But anyways, the That's point awesome. I want to drive yeah. is I, I think one other strategy that works really well is to to go to the audience member you're the least comfortable to serve and to try mm-hmm. and serve that person. That's a tough one. That's usually the person I do everything to avoid. Like eye contact. I don't even want to be in the same vicinity because that's scary because a lot of times you feel judged. Um, you don't necessarily know what to say to kind of get them on board but that's a really good point like focusing on what the person finds value in hear from them and then kind of adjust based on that I'm also Absolutely. yeah I'm also curious like because we've talked about communication in terms of you know presentations and stuff like that but um, I think obviously it transcends to so many different aspects of our lives 
where have you seen either personally or like from the people that you've helped where your coaching has impacted like other areas of their lives where either their relationships get better or their friendships get better? Where have you seen the biggest change with that? Absolutely. You know what I've always believed he brought is communication is a domino effect or a multiplier effect. Mm -hmm. Both analogies work. So what do I mean by this? Communication has different angles. Right? It's, it's, it's a prism rather than just a, like a circle. And what I mean by that is we have presentations, mm -hmm. conversations, but conversations could be in different areas. Here, I'm not, I'm not really allowed to ask you questions back in this context. It's a podcast, so I'm supposed to be the one. <laughs> adding the value to answer it. Whereas if we were just having coffee in Minneapolis, I would be doing most of the talking. I'd be listening to you. Right. I want to hear more about your Naruto adventures and the other animes <laughs> that, that you enjoy. Right? So so that would be the, the focal point of yeah. the conversation. Well, because the podcast, I actually have to deliver the value and make sure that everything that I say is impacting the person that we don't see or hear, mm -hmm. which is a different vertical from talking to my mother, which is also different than coaching a CEO mm -hmm. or a six-year-old kid. Right. What I mean here is as we master each one of those verticals, it's like the first domino getting hit off and all of those dominoes coming down. So as we start to remove filler words in our presentations, we start to say less ums and ahs in a conversation. Hmm. So that's really the secret to communication. So what we've seen a lot of clients or really just people in general do is one in particular I can think of right now, really good at presentations, but the real value for that person, even if he joins the program for the result to get to get promoted at work, to make more money in his business, his his relationship with his wife improves dramatically mm. because he has less less conflict because he's able to lead that conversation better. And that's also you know, why I'm able to live with my mom and my sister for and not argue with them for over a decade. I remember the last time he had an argument. Oh, wow. It's been that long. And that's why I think the power of communication is not just for the Tony Robbinses of the world or the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world yeah. or the Brene Browns. It's, it's really for everyone because it really improves the quality of your life. Oh, 100%. I, I feel like that too. Like once I started really prioritizing improving my communication skills, not only to be a better speaker, you know, with starting the podcast, I didn't want to constantly be, you know, sounding awkward or whatever it was. But I noticed I was able to communicate my own thoughts, my own feelings better just in my relationships. And I didn't have so much of like a mental block when it came to communicating how I felt because I had practiced it so much without realizing it with the podcast and just talking with people um, regularly, like people that I wanted to be my mentors, you know, if I went out to dinner with them or something. Those were all little moments of practicing for me that I didn't realize were leading up to me actually just becoming an overall better communicator. And speaking of having conversations, I think one area that a lot of people struggle with or, or want advice in is how not to be so, for lack of better words, boring when it comes to just day-to-day -day conversations where, I don't know, you go out to hang out with friends or you go on a dinner date, whatever it is. Like, how do I actually have a meaningful conversation with someone that's not talking about the weather or like just basic stuff? How do we actually get to the point where I'm learning about you and making myself seem interesting? Mm. You, know, you know, it's ironic that you asked me this question because I, I'm literally the other screen right now, my computer, it was me optimizing a video called How to Stop Being Boring. It's actually <laughs> dropping on Sunday. So it's pretty funny. So, so I'll, I'm sure happy to share those insights. So, so what I would say is let's, let's start with the principle, then let's get into the tactics because I love this one. 
mm-hmm. is we need to first acknowledge the number of people that we're actually going to meet in our lifetimes. And a lot of people don't think this way. So allow me to drop the analogy. Yeah. Let's say, Hebron, that we meet somebody new every few days. And that's very optimistic for most people. Let's run with it. Somebody new every three days. So in a year, give or take, you'll meet 100 new people. Right. So let's say you live, and I live, 50 more years than our current age. So let's say we're both 25. We live 50 more years, and we both die at 75. Okay, so for everyone listening, just plus 50. Yeah. So the question you always need to ask yourself is not how do you get everyone to like you? The question you'd always ask yourself is who do you want those 5,000 people to be? Mm. Because if you only get to meet 100 people a year times 50 more years, you only get to meet 5,000 people out of a sea of billions of individuals on planet right. Earth. So you don't actually get to see everybody. Mm-hmm. So when you when you think about that, your prism, your frame starts to change because now you start to ask yourselves more pickier questions. You, get, you start to get a bit more selective. Mm-hmm. Well, if Brendan doesn't like anime, should I have him on the podcast? Right. If, if, he, if we're not willing to have thoughtful conversations, should we even talk to this person? Mm-hmm. So now we start to get a little bit more selective. And then, of course, going back to the dinner date example, for a life partner, we only get to pick one person uh, in most cases. Right, based <laughs> Hopefully, on right? Like, <laughs> preferably. Uh, like everyone, yeah, everyone's got their own beliefs on that, but let's just assume one for that purpose. So so then we get even pickier yeah. with like, crap, well, do we have this in common? Do you have this in common? Mm-hmm. So so what, what I've kind of landed on, of course, I'm still learning. I'm still on the journey myself. But I would say that the key pillar here is to ask questions that you're personally excited about answering yourself. Mm. But if you truly are asking these questions, that means you're going to not resonate with most people, right? So for me, relationship building is this. Talk to 100 people to find one rock star. If I find one lifelong friend out of 100 people I talk to, Mm -hmm. I consider that exceptionally good results. Mm -hmm. So what you need to write down, and here's something tactical you could do, is write down three questions that you want to ask that you're that if you were asked these questions, you would be super excited about to answer and start asking them to other people. Yeah, that's one strategy I'd implement. The second one that's also practical that people can implement right now, they can literally pause this episode and just go do it, mm-hmm. is make a list of your top 10 relationships. And top 10 doesn't mean money or status. It just means people that you really value in your life. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do I would exclude family from that because the strategy doesn't work as well with family. So think of like top 10 friends. Mm -hmm. Like one of my top 10 is like some guy in Brazil who has an infrastructure business, (laughs) but another guy in the top 10 is like a podcast. I never thought about that. Yeah. Right. But here's the punchline. Here's the punchline. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you like it. So the punchline is take that top 10 list, but then do the thing nobody else does. Introduce those 10 people to each other. Mm. So what happens when you do that is number two, number seven, number five. What they start to do is they start to introduce you to their top 10 and every introduction or most of them are mind blowing. And I'll give you an example from my list. Number three actually introduced me to number two. Okay. Right. So I was on number three's podcast, so Sam's podcast. It's based obviously, it sounds so derogatory when I number call them three. numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're not numbers, but it's just a way to, I'm just a math, math yeah, yeah. geek, as you can probably tell. So I met Sam through a podcast, mm-hmm. but I went on like, like, this is probably one of the few episodes where I'm like, wow, the intro is like really good. 
where most of the time it's just like, so, like, what do you do? And I'm right. just like, oh, okay. Right? But So I met Sam. So we became really good friends after the episode ended. Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to Billy, who ended up being, like, my best, best friend ever. Mm-hmm. But I needed to get to Sam to get to Billy in right. the fastest way. So, yeah, take your top ten, introduce them to each other. That's really cool. That actually reminds me of um, a video that I was watching with Jay Shetty was interviewing Matthew Hussey on his podcast um, I love Matthew, on purpose. Yeah. They're both amazing. And Matthew Hussey was telling Jay Shetty, he was saying, a lot of times you have to create your culture and your crowd. And he used the analogy of going or as an example of going to a party and going in with the assumption that, okay, this party is going to suck. So automatically your behavior is going to reflect a sucky party. So you're going to have a sucky experience versus going into a party and being like, okay, I don't know what can happen here, but I'm going to give it my best effort and make sure that I have a good time. So when you do that and give it your best effort, some people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Some people are going to be like, oh, wow, this person's having such an amazing time. Why don't I join them? And through that, you actually end up attracting the people that you actually want to be in your life, which is, I think, essentially what you were explaining just in a different example. So that's definitely a really good point. I 100% agree with that. Oh, yeah. And, and since we're talking about Hussey, there's there's another mantra that I love from him. And and this goes back to obsessiveness. Like, yeah, I, I have a video and just mad. Just the way that he talks is very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And And the best tip I got from him, which is similar to what you said, he said, make a list of everything that you look for in a partner. It doesn't necessarily mean a romantic partner. It could be business relationship, could be a friendship. Make a list yeah. if you want that person to be generous, humble, uh, amazing. And then wake up the next morning, look at the list and become that person. Mm-hmm. And when I listened to that, I was like, damn, that's really good. Yeah. I'm like, maybe I need to cross some things off my list. Because <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, a lot of people expect so much out of other people that they're not willing to give themselves. Everybody wants a great communicator. Everybody wants someone that's so open with their feelings. When you ask yourself in turn, like, okay, am I that way? It's like, uh, I still have some work there. So the, how am I going to be able to attract someone with those values if I don't even have it? Because I'm sure the person with those values probably wants someone with equal or better skills, right? That's definitely a good point there. I totally agree. Oh, yeah. I know we talked about Matthew Hussey. What are some other people that maybe you listen to or um, have kind of given you inspiration when it comes to this topic? So many to, to count. But I would say that the ones I usually quote in a conversation like this would probably be i'll pick three so number one is scott harrison so scott harrison's the ceo of charity water mm-hmm. he started this nonprofit to help people gain access to clean water he's not the best communicator in the world but i love i love the way that he thinks about high stakes communication so here's what i mean mm-hmm. so when scott's speaking in a presentation or in a conversation with someone really rich to like donate money to his nonprofit, it's very high stakes because if he misses, a lot of people go without water. Because if he raises $5 million instead of 10 well, the $5 million could have been used for right. So it's super high pressure. Mm-hmm. So he needs to deliver. And he delivers every single time. That's what I like about him. So he's a good reminder for me to make sure that whenever I come on a podcast, whenever I do a video on my YouTube channel or any medium, I need to make sure I show up in a way that, that knocks the bullseye or as close as possible to the bullseye as possible. So that's what. Yeah. Second person, I would say, is Gary V. Gary oh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vayner- Vaynerchuk's an interesting guy because a lot of people hate him, a lot of people love him. Mm-hmm. But but I think what's personally fascinating about him is he's very thoughtful about human behavior. He really understands how people work, mm-hmm. understands what people do rather than what they say, and he's able to use that in his keynotes. 
a lot of people look at him and they say things like, is he always talking about motivational content? Right. But very few people ask themselves, why is he talking about motivational content? And the reason is simple. 90%, 95% of his conversations are, I don't want to implement Gary because my mom did this or this happened mm -hmm. or that happened. Mm -hmm. So he had to change his tune to appeal to the masses. So I think the way he understands consumer behavior, he's a prime example of the dinner guest question, you know, having dinner with your audience, right. but on steroids. Right. Because he's the type of guy, just so I can really contextualize this for people, you get this, but for, people, for <laughs> most people out there, is he's literally on a phone call with like the CEO of Campbell Soup, mm -hmm. right? So it's like a multi-hundred million dollar company. He's busy. Like the guy's running like a multi uh, nine figure, one of the fastest market agencies in the world. And a six year old goes, Gary, can I get a picture? He literally goes, Yo, like one second, and gets a picture with the six year old. Yeah. Like, what CEO right. does that? Mm -hmm. It's it's that focus, that obsession. Mm -hmm. And I would say the third person, though there's so too many to count, is, is Lewis Howes um, on the topic of podcasts. Lewis is, is one of my all-time heroes. I've listened to hundreds of episodes of his, of his podcast, School of Greatness. I've attended his live events. I met my business partner at his live event. I just love the way that he communicates. His EQ is just off the charts. He really understands how to adapt his energy. Like, yeah. I'm sort of okay. Lewis takes us to another level where he's able to just quickly adapt his energy based on the person he's speaking to. I can't remember who said this, but someone said that you're not always going to have a charismatic teacher. And regardless of who your teacher is, you have to be a grade A listener because whether that speaker or that teacher is super charismatic, super energetic, I can gain so much from them versus someone that maybe comes off a little bit boring. Are you, under any circumstance, able to find something from that person that you can learn and take home with you? So I really like the fact that you kind of pinpointed different things that you like about those speakers that maybe other people wouldn't necessarily be able to recognize. Um, it matters less who is saying it and more whether or not you're willing to listen. Mm, I think it's, it's different phases for different seasons. For, for different people. So do I think that you should be a great A listener? Absolutely. And the way that you do that, because no one really gives a lot of practical tips on this, is yeah. to, to say more questions rather than statements. So of course, in this, in this type of medium, I have to answer questions. So I have to say statements all the time. Mm -hmm. But in regular conversation, what percentage of your conversation is statements? I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. Versus right. why do you believe what you believe? Why is that important to you? Why mm -hmm. do you care about this? And, and a personal example I could give us with my mom, right? You know, when my mom immigrated from Sri Lanka in the early 90s, we clashed mm -hmm. so much on values because she comes from a culture that's very collectivist and I grew up in a culture that's very individualist. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I like, I'm, it's not like I'm selfish, but it's like, yeah, I want to actually, yes, I am selfish. I want to be successful <laughs> for right, myself right. Yeah. and also the family. And mm -hmm. she goes, no, you need to sacrifice your individual desires for what the collective mm -hmm should do mm -hmm. right so there's a huge clash of values you know i think the reason why we stopped fighting what seven eight ten years ago was because <laughs> i started asking questions and i realized yeah. it was working that's so, kind yeah, of that might good. that might be a record for you there seven to eight years of no arguments that's pretty insane i mean there's probably arguments so it's it's like small things right right nothing it's substantial ne it's nothing like yeah i don't yell i think the only people i yell to is maybe my business partner or like uh, Mostly men. I mostly yell at men. <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not the other way around. Generally yeah. speaking, anyways. I guess one final question here for you. Um, when it comes to 
men versus women in this topic is there a difference in approach either when you're speaking to a more male-centered crowd or female-centered crowd or even as a woman versus being a man speaker is there a difference in how i should communicate myself excellent excellent question so what i would say there and and i just remember the last one around being a teacher like which teacher should you listen to and should you listen to to teachers who aren't as like aren't as charismatic so the the last piece i want to give on then let's get into the masculine versus feminine question is the idea that you know my mentor andy enriquez who is trained by les brand he says it really well he goes there are people that are assigned to you Mm. and what he means by that is there's a certain group of people who will always resonate with your message and another group of people who will resonate with the same message, but not from you, from right. another person. So mm-hmm. even if three people say the same thing, three different types of groups of people resonate with that individual. So mm-hmm. even if I believe you can learn from terrible teachers, more in terms of what can they do better, how, what kind of feedback can I get from them so I can make my game better or train my trainers better, or the yeah. people I end up mentoring, the bigger shot there, the bigger bullseye for people is that realize in today's day and age that there's a teacher for all of us and all of those teachers are now free and accessible to all, mm-hmm. right? Like think of Lewis Howes. If it wasn't for Lewis, I probably wouldn't have the maturity of the emotional intelligence today to navigate clients. Cause a lot of my clients are double my age, right? My oldest mm-hmm. client currently, I believe is 57, 58, but I'm 25, mm-hmm. right? So how am I able to navigate that? Well, I, I need to mature up. I need to learn what Lewis has learned, what the guest that he brings on, and I'm able mm-hmm. to navigate that. And I and I learn a lot from him because he's an exceptional teacher. But if I wanted one-on-one coaching with the guy, it would cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, which of course I right. still don't have, and I wouldn't have had <laughs> either at 19. So I think there's a magic in saying that even if there's things we can learn from terrible teachers, don't keep the focus on that. Focus on charismatic teachers that are right. charismatic to you. Right. So that's the key. Like somebody who's listening to this will go, I don't like Gary Vaynerchuk. Totally fine. Go yeah. listen to Brene Brown. Go listen. To find what person. works for you. Yeah, exactly. Find what works for you. And that's the key. And and going to the masculine versus feminine. Here, here's the biggest tip that I have on this. Mm-hmm. You need to study the other gender more obsessively than your own. Mm. I think that's the real key. Like for me, being a man is very simple. Like, right. I, I don't like it's just simple when I talk to other men it's just like we're direct it's simple yeah. we say what we need uh, we mean what we say most of the time and, and that's it and then, right, <laughs> it's very simple yeah and and we generally don't talk a lot that much to our friends mm-hmm. we're very close with our friends but we generally don't talk like every day with with our men peer group but but I still have a mental health peer group with my, my male friends which most men don't which I think is a problem right Right. Oh, but that's a whole topic, and that's itself. a whole other that's a whole other uh, barrel barrel of worms. I'm definitely yeah. not an expert on, but hey, uh, that's the key. <laughs> but the but the idea is, I think most men, should, or it, let's say in the context of a man, we need to be spending a lot more time studying women and their psychology. And the opposite is also true. Women should be studying men a lot more than women. Right. And the reason is because a lot of that stuff on our own agenda is more innate. So so I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. The way that I'm speaking to you now in this podcast is 100% trained, right? It's not intuitive at all because my natural voice is this, right? Because okay. I'm very alpha male aggressive. That's my that's my direction. That's who I am as a person. But when I started studying female psychology, I realized that women speak a lot more of their emotions than men do, mm-hmm. and they feel a lot more of the room. It's a different type of energy. Mm-hmm. So for me to figure out how to coach women, which I started doing a few years ago, 
I needed to learn how to embrace more of my feminine energy whenever right. I approach those types of conversations. And by the way, I'm not, I don't want to generalize for our women. There are some alpha women out there and, and feminine men. But I would say as, as a broad stroke, yeah, I think the key here is the more we are an archaeologist of the other gender, the more it helps us speak to a wider range of individuals. And here's right. the underlying principle that I, that I want to nail for people is if you want to be a world-class speaker, your job is to adapt to the other person, not expect the other person to adapt to you. And I'll repeat that mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. If your job, if, you, if your role, if your desire is to be a world-class interviewer, which you are getting there very closely, I would say, <laughs> a world-class speaker, a world-class communicator, world-class relationship builder, you need to adapt to the other person and not expect the other person to adapt to you. That's right. really the secret. And the, the, the more you dig, like I still study women's psychology today, right? I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to get yeah, better. Same, <laughs> <laughs> For myself. <laughs> but yeah, I think the acknowledgement is the first step and just that puts you ahead of the game of most yeah, people. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that because I, I've, I noticed that a lot too, just from different things that you see on social media where usually it's one gender attacking the other it's not a lot of trying to understand the behaviors of why someone might be acting that way or why you might have to adjust a little bit I think that's such a good point adjust based on who you're talking to and being mindful and cognizant of the people that are receiving your message and adjusting based on that I feel like I've learned so much from this conversation likewise I mean I've <laughs> answered a lot of questions in this interview that I haven't answered before which is equally oh, really? yeah. lesson for me too so i i'm shocked you're at episode eight of your podcast this is insane you're like really good at this <laughs> you're, you're real like honestly I, I feel you need to hear this because you're at episode eight you're yeah. really fucking good at what you're doing like you're what? good i was That's like awesome. fuck like so she's sweet. asked me a lot of great questions <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much brendan for being here i really appreciate you you know sharing what you know and the experiences you've had i think it's great insight both for me and, and hopefully for the people listening as well I, I think what you're doing is really cool and impactful and something that a lot of people will benefit from um, like I said in the beginning of this podcast communication is something that transcends just presentations and career um, this is a skill that will help you have better relationships will help you even know yourself and learn yourself better so thank you for making it a priority to share I hope that you continue as well. I know you told me to continue with this podcast, so I hope you continue with this business. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you, Hebron. Such a pleasure. Well, that is it for this week's episode, you guys. I hope you learned something from this conversation. I know I definitely did. Um, as always, I will see you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. And be sure to come follow me on all social media platforms at the username Meaningful Riches podcast and check back here once a week as I put out new episodes. There's so much around us to be thankful for and find true value and wealth in. I hope that these conversations will empower you to take bold action and add personal value so you can attain and live a life filled with meaningful riches. I'll see you guys next week.